Is poor form making it so that the NFL is causing more injuries? We'll find out this week on Iceman and Coach. Welcome back, Ice Time Nation. You're probably wondering what in the blue hell is going on here. I'm calling the show something else, and that's correct. This is the Iceman and Coach Sports Show, and you probably are listening and thinking, what happened to Drippin' Sports? Well, when I started this show way back, June of 2021, the world was a different place back then. I was in a different place back then. It was really in the image of myself, and I was the only person on this team, and now we have added a second person in the coach, And honestly, even in the back of my mind, I knew that it wasn't going to be the same and that at some point it was going to change. And now that we have found our groove, we are opening the era of the Iceman and Coach Sports Show from here on out. So, Coach, welcome to the show. The new era has begun. Iceman. Yeah, man, it is awesome. I'm really excited about the new direction, and I cannot tell you enough how much I appreciate you including me in all this. And it's it's super exciting. I do think that we are finding our groove and moving into a really exciting direction. At the very least, you and I are going to enjoy this process. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to enjoy the process. And if you think about it, this is the way I think about it anyway. Think about when Mike and Mike started or any of the sports shows that we know today, Colin Cowherd, Jim Rome, they all started somewhere. And some of them added people, some of them didn't add people. But in the end, they all moved on and evolved in their own way. And when I brought you on board, it became ours, not just mine. And so I felt like it was it was in need of a change at some point. And I wanted to give it a little bit more of a sports radio flair. And I think that we're going for that aesthetic. I think we've reached it a little behind the scenes here, but we have added so much in the last six weeks. I know the listeners appreciate it. And I know for me, creatively, I definitely appreciate it. No, absolutely. Like you said, with evolution, if you're not evolving, you're dying. And I think that we're, we're doing the right things as far as trying to grow the show and to kind of paint it in both of our images a little bit, which is really exciting. Uh, so beyond that, any other exciting news from you over the weekend? Not really, outside of the fact that uh, daycares continue to be America's Petri dishes and the kid brings home ungodly and obscene amounts of germs that I, as a near 40-year-old man, apparently haven't seen in a very, very long time, and I just continue to keep getting sick every two weeks or so. And uh, we were worried about COVID there for a while. We really should have been locking down the damn daycares. Yeah, I ever since our daughter got into public school, it's just been a whole new ball game. And I remember it kind of hit me one day when we were talking about how often our, our two-year-old son has gotten sick throughout his lifetime. And I'm like, well, you know, duh. Daughter didn't have an older sibling that was going to school every day, bringing home God knows what. And the little guy has that battle to fight and you know so it was, it was a tough week for us man over the across the weekend with some illness and things like that it, it forced me and my daughter to miss uh miss our soccer game on saturday and got a couple parents that stepped up and coached the team sounded like the, they got a victory so i told the the mom who coached she texted me and told me i said i said well you're hired i'll gladly step aside but we had the last game coming up this saturday uh, looking forward to that for numerous reasons but uh probably the number one reason would be to maybe at least stay undefeated that is about the most indictment of indictments that you could have on your coaching prowess leaving for one week and having them get the victory when you have had losses become or excuse me wins grasped from you and literally grasped from you in certain aspects but enough about that i was going to ask for an update but hey there is no update to be made so speaking of poor play speaking of coaches not know what they're doing 
you said something offline that I wanted to get into. Now, last week we talked about Tua, and I thought we had a really good discussion. I thought Alex had a great question. We talked about that, and I thought that we really kind of gathered ourselves and and really got down to the bottom of the issue. Well, there has been some unintended consequences, I think, of what has happened since everything related to Tua. Obviously, the public outrage caused him to not play this week. And what we have seen now is a lot more head injuries. You pointed that out to me offline, and you had a theory that poor and sloppy play, specifically tackling, was leading to some of these injuries, at least head injuries, that you have seen in terms of what's on the field. But also, I think that the hesitancy now about the NFL and its optics is leading the referees to referee in a different way to the point that we are seeing roughing the quarterback plays, or excuse me, roughing the quarterback calls that really are just penalties for guys playing football. Yeah, there's been a little bit of an evolution to this. Step one, which was the right step, was to find ways to take the head out of tackling. Uh, the way that tackling was taught when I grew up playing youth football and the way that I was teaching it when I started coaching football were two totally different styles of tackling. Um, and rightfully so, because the game had evolved a little bit to take the, the head out of tackling in the interest of preventing these uh, traumatic brain injuries. So let's move forward to you know, the game and the rules and how it's being officiated. You've seen year over year, the protection that the quarterbacks get um, increase significantly. We've seen a lot more, you know, now that the targeting rules in play, I, I think that they're more, it's more geared towards the head though, right? It's always about the head. Are you hitting with your head? Are you hitting someone in the head? And I, I don't blame coaching staffs necessarily for the technique because I'm not sure what technique I would try to coach. Luckily, I'm not in the business of trying to come up with it anymore, but it's tough to tackle a guy, especially at full speed. If he's running full speed, you're running full speed. It is tough to make a tackle on a professional athlete or a college athlete or really anyone for that matter and not have the head be involved in some way, shape or form. And I do think that what we're seeing now are more of these what I call wrap and whip style tackles where you're seeing them grab someone around the waist, sort of throw their body around them, and then they rip the person down over their body, which is causing this whiplash situation where the back of the head is hitting the turf. That's what happened to Tua mm -hmm. twice, right? I saw it happen numerous times on Sunday in different games. And it's, I'm like, this is the, the problem is the way these guys have to tackle now. It's it's leading to more head injuries. Now, I don't know what the answer is. I wish I did. In regards to the quarterback position, I was speaking to my dad about this. I said, it wouldn't surprise me if we get to a point where they, they there's a timer, seven seconds. If the ball's not out in seven seconds, like the play's dead, uh, just to avoid these crazy hits. And I mean, that would change the game completely. But if you think about how much it's changed already, it's insane. You know, some of the flags we saw thrown this weekend, Tom Brady, Tom Brady won and the one on car last night were insane. And or maybe it just becomes where the quarterback's two-hand touch from now on. But it, it would not shock me one bit if we get to something like that at some point. The crazy part, though, is they're trying to legislate violence, but only for quarterbacks. Like, there's not as much of this in the skill position, guys. And yes, they have tried to make it so that guys going across the middle, defenseless receivers or defenseless players, aren't as inbounds the way that they used to be. But it seems like quarterbacks are the ones getting these rules, making players less able to actually hit them like I said earlier, I mean, the penalties that you talked about, Brady and Derek Carr, those were basically penalized for tackling, legitimate tackling that we've seen countless times. I didn't see a dangerous aspect to either of those. And this is all from the Tua effect. But as you eloquently pointed out, it's been an evolution for a long time. And I think the fundamental crux of the issue for me is the NFL is trying to make a violent sport not violent. 
there's never going to be a way to do that unless as you pointed out you change the game fundamentally and make it so that it's really not football anymore and i think that their ratings and their money will just plummet if they do something like that you're absolutely right and, and to kind of reiterate what you said about there being almost a different set of rules or at least a different level of emphasis between the quarterbacks and the other players on the field i think that the nfl will never say this but I, my belief is the reason you see that is these quarterbacks dictate so much who watches and how many people watch these football games you're not going to not tune in to watch i don't know name a team you're not you're not going to not watch the bills if Stefan Diggs is out, that's not going to keep you from turning the game on. But if they said, hey, Josh Allen isn't playing this week or the rest of the season, you might as well cancel their season. <laughs> I that's mean, good point. yeah, we, we've seen backups come in and everything else, but like it, it is devastating to a team's uh, production as far as wins and also to the ratings and the money that's generated through people tuning in to watch these games. You're 100% right, and the NFL is going to watch their back. I mean, they talk a big game about the shield and all that kind of stuff with integrity, and they're, they're trying to manage optics at every turn, and there's just no way that you're going to be able to do it in such a way that basically it's never violent. And I think the only path that I could see is that the violent sport that we know of football ends up being played by people who literally have no choice. It becomes almost a combat sport, the way that boxing and MMA are. And then you have another avenue where it's a lot less like what we know. Maybe it is touch football or flag football or who knows. And maybe there is an appetite for that. But I just think the NFL is in a terrible position. But now, though, I've seen a lot of banter back and forth. People saying you can't on one hand complain about Tua, but then complain about the officiating because they're directly correlated. And my argument all along has been, we always overcorrect. It doesn't have to be football. It's literally everything in this country. We overcorrect all the time when something happens to the point that it takes away from what we originally knew. And so now, how are teams supposed to beat guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, who already have an advantage because they're so skilled? And now they're going to be able to basically do whatever they want because if they're in the pocket long enough and they get hit, it's going to be a flag. And that is game-changing a lot of times. It absolutely is. And you, you see sometimes the ones that aren't called and these quarterbacks reactions, they'll look at the official and they'll throw their hands up like, hey, why aren't you calling this? It's like, man, these guys have come to expect almost any time they are taken to the ground or, or contact is made with them that there's supposed to be a call made. It's absolutely insane. And you're right. When you mention optics, uh, that's what they're doing. The NFL is trying to manage optics at every turn. But I'll say this much. I think they do it as good or if not better than any other pro sports league. Oh, for sure. I mean, because people are still coming to games in droves. They're still watching it, paying money. I mean, it's a billion dollar industry. So you're absolutely right about that. But one other point I want to make and I want to ask about is the fact that what about quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, guys that get out of the pocket who use their legs to actually get big chunks of yards? What we traditionally know is that once you leave the pocket, you're fair game, whether you're a quarterback or not, you become a runner. And how are the officials going to handle it when a guy like Lamar breaks free and gets absolutely lambasted out on the field? Is that going to be roughing the passer now? Is that going to be unnecessary roughness? Is is you think we're going to see some stuff like that? Because again, as you pointed out, guys have to tackle differently. I, I just think it depends on the nature of the tackle. But I I agree that once you you leave the pocket, or maybe we could even extend it as far as to once you cross the line of scrimmage, you're a ball carrier, mm -hmm. and you should be able to be treated like a ball carrier. One thing that I kind of have a problem with that I've seen a few times is the fake slide. I don't think you should be able to fake a slide if you're a quarterback because the second you start your slide, those guys are supposed to not touch you. And I think it was in a college game somewhere I saw 
a clip of a quarterback who like went to fake a slide and then ran for another 10, 20 yards or something like that should not be allowed. If you fake a slide, I mean, it should be a 15 yard penalty or, or something very serious because the, the intention of the rule is to protect you and you should not be able to use that to your advantage. Uh, do I think we'll see more uh, aggressive calls against quarterbacks when they become ball carriers? I don't think so. I do think that the fact that Lamar and Kyler are these prolific runners hurts them more than anyone else. While it's such a great weapon, you see these teams reluctant to offer them long-term deals because they know that they're one hit away from not playing anymore. Shorter shelf life for sure. Speaking of a short shelf life, the St. Louis Cardinals, your your cousin Alex came here, was very adamant about the fact that the Phillies couldn't hit, they couldn't put balls in play, and the Phillies swept the Cardinals right out of the wild card round, and they are back home. And I wanted to know, had you heard from Alex a little bit of a wellness check? Is he okay? Yeah, he was very confident, wasn't he? He was very confident. He was in there. Like, it was the most confident he was the whole show. Absolutely. And I did. I reached out uh, over the weekend, and I didn't hear anything back until today. And he did. He clarified. He's like, yeah, I had to take a couple of days to uh, to sort of uh, you know deal with that. Um, which, you know, that's cool. I do think that there's uh, something to be said about loving pros, you know, loving sports. I, I think it's nice to invest yourself into something that you have no control over for entertainment's sake. Uh, I think it's healthy to some degree. And I, I admire his fandom. And I know, though, he's not the type of guy that's going to check out, though, by any means. He's going to be engaged through the rest of the postseason because he loves baseball and, and all the stats and analytics that come along with it. I just absolutely love that his first ever appearance on a podcast, he claims that the Phillies can't do X, Y, and Z and just sweep. I mean, it couldn't have been a more poetic justice for his take and just... He's out there on tape. Like the first time he's ever out there, he is so incredibly wrong. And maybe that's what's entertaining. You always say that. It is, man. We we specialize in that here uh, at the Ice Time and Coach Show. That's right. We do. So speaking of terrible play, Thursday night football. Now, we had that on crunch time last week, and I had it on there almost as a joke because your Colts were playing on Thursday night football. And hey, prime time. I did call it, I listened back to just make sure I got the wording correct. I called it the shit fest of the week last week. And boy, oh boy, did it live up to expectations to the point where Al Michaels, we're talking about guy who called the miracle on ice, said on live, excuse me, said live on the broadcast, this is like watching the, was it like the fifth level CBS broadcast? I mean, just shitting on it on national television. And I have to ask, what the hell? It's bad. Both of those teams cannot put it together. I am most shocked by how bad the Broncos are because I really thought that Russell Wilson was going to catapult them into being a Super Bowl contender. I think I talked about that weeks ago, and he has done anything but that. And it makes you sort of look at the Seahawks and think maybe that it wasn't Russ that was holding that thing together. And I will talk more about that here in a little while. But, you know, maybe Russ moving on might have been an upgrade. It might have been addition by subtraction in that case. And as far as the Colts go, they just don't have the pieces. You, you can't hang it all on Matt Ryan. He's on his way out. And, you know, he doesn't have much left in the tank. But they don't have, I mean, they have Jonathan Taylor, but he isn't being the Jonathan Taylor we knew last year. And I just don't think they have the pieces in the passing game to compete at the level that we've kind of expected from the Colts over the last decade or two. And, you know, interesting, I saw a stat where they talked about how Carson Wentz, you know, when he was with the Colts, he was like the ninth rated quarterback or something like that. And, you know, even he wasn't necessarily the problem um, in Indianapolis. It's it's a, it's more of a, a wide range lack of talent issue. 
You can forgive the Colts for their performance because coming in, they didn't have Jonathan Taylor. He was out. And they don't have a lot of pieces, to your point. They're playing in Denver. It's a tough place to play. But just given the start for the Broncos, I just I don't understand what's going on. We thought it was Nathaniel Hackett for a while, but I've been very adamant that I didn't think Russ was that kind of guy. I've kind of disagreed with you. We didn't disagree on air, but I've kind of always had that mentality that maybe Russ isn't the guy everybody thinks that he is. And what we're seeing here is just, it's terrible. I mean, to the point where there was a flashback, Richard Sherman was one of the people doing the game, at least in terms of the halftime crew. And at the end of the game, they had to get one yard. It was like fourth down or something like that. And they didn't run the ball. They passed and they couldn't get it. And he was losing his mind in the post game. Cause he's like, it's one yard. And he's been there because they lost a Super Bowl because they decided to pass at the one yard line. I have a hot take about that. I don't think that was as egregious of a call as people say, because I bet you eight times out of 10, that actually works out. But you always play the result. Anyway, I just, I, I find it interesting, but there was news this week that basically said that Russ is playing hurt. And I don't want to downplay an injury from a guy. It just feels very convenient. Yeah, if you're hurt, why, why why couldn't you be hurt two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Why do you wait until, you know, your your back's against the wall to, to throw out an injury? Or, you know, I don't want to say an excuse, and maybe that's not a fair statement, but I, I don't think that he is you you were right we kind of talked about it off air you were right I was wrong I really thought he was gonna like I said catapult them to the next level and that has not been the case I don't think it's victory lap time I mean you're six weeks into the season or five weeks into the season but it just feels like something isn't right and it's the whole situation and Russ to me he's such a company guy and I'm not sure he's the kind of personality that can come in go into the coach and say, hey, something's not right here. I think he's actually saying yes, sir, no, sir, all the time. And I think that's to his detriment. And that's one of the things we heard in Seattle with the Legion of Boom, that he didn't really get along with a lot of the players on that defense. They were, I think what they said was he wasn't black enough. And I have, I can't speak to that, obviously. But my point being is like, is he so corporate and so yes, man, that potentially that hinders him from being able to come into this team and take over. If he's that talented, shouldn't he be able to take over and have a little bit of leeway like the Rodgers, the Brady's, the Mahomes? Those guys are talented enough that they get a little bit of a pass to ad lib. Well, and I thought part of the reason he left Seattle is him and Pete Carroll butted heads a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm not accurate on that, but I've also heard that in Denver, he has like his own specialized individual locker room or something. That to me doesn't scream like teen guy to me anyways. And maybe there is a locker room situation there maybe those guys can't bring themselves to rally around him and or whatever else i i don't know i i can't speak i guess to what type of teammate he is because i've never been there done that but just some of the rumors i've heard it doesn't sound great all right let's get off of bad football i want to talk about good football well actually questionably good football so the nfc east which i think you and i both agreed coming into the season was mediocre at best we saw one pretty good team and the rest of them were probably going to be middling around mediocre or below average. And we're sitting here today. It is October 11th when we are recording this episode. The Eagles are 5-0. The Cowboys with Cooper Rush are 4-1. and And the New York football Giants are 4-1, each winning this week. And the Giants getting what has to be the most impressive win, beating the Packers in London. Is this the, be the best division in football? On paper, yeah, I guess. I, I, But in reality, I don't think so. I haven't seen anything from the Cowboys or Giants that like jumps off the page at me. 
But again, they keep going out and finding ways to win. I was really thinking that was a Sunday night. The Rams were going to have their way with the Cowboys. That just wasn't the case. I was, I was sadly disappointed. <laughs> was it Sunday? Yeah, it was it Sunday night, right? Was the Rams Cowboys? Or it was, was it? in the 425 hour. Okay. Yeah. But it felt, gosh, it felt like Sunday night then. Anyways, I really thought that the Rams were going to come out and sort of put them in their place. And they did not do that. The Eagles are 5-0. and I have not been a believer, but you can't sit there and argue with the record. And the Giants at 4-1 and is the most puzzling to me, I would say. It's also the most fraudulent. There's no way that's going to last. I mean, good for Brian Dayball and all and all that. You know, he's coaching his ass off. Right now, I would I would say that if the season ended today, you'd have two of the top candidates for Coach of the Year in the same damn division. And Mike McCarthy, unbelievably, and new coach Brian Dayball. I mean, hey, they're coaching their ass off. You get wins. That's what you have to do. That's what you get paid to do. So good for them on getting wins. The Cowboys will be in an interesting conundrum because I think right now they're leaning on a very, very good defense, which is putting a ton of pressure on just about every team that they play. And Cooper Rush isn't losing the football game because their defense has allowed them to be able to play very conservatively and not turn the ball over. But I'm curious what's going to happen when they play a high scoring team. Like I have no confidence that they'll be able to get to Mahomes and contain him the way that they've been able to contain some of these other guys. I mean, the Rams, maybe that's impressive, but not even really a home field advantage for them. Matt Stafford has to be hurt. His elbow has to be feeling not great. And the Rams look like they are completely hung over from last year. Like they won theirs and they're done. Yeah, they have not been very impressive. And it's it's been sad to see because it's still a very talented group for sure. Uh, well coached. Uh, to, to your point about the Cowboys and Cooper Rush, I don't think that the gap between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott is that great. Whoa. And that's not because I think Cooper Rush is that good. I just don't think Dak Prescott is that good. And so the gap, I don't think, is that large. I get that, you know, Dak Prescott is the, the, the shiny, expensive thing. But if you look at production on the field, and granted, we're only going through a few games. But if you look at production, uh, the, the gap is not great. And uh, you may have a quarterback controversy at the end of this year. We'll see how the rest of the season goes, but I think it's possible. Ladies and gentlemen, the start of the Cooper Rush fan club right here. Good Lord. So you really don't think that there is a chasm between the two of those guys? No, I, I, it's because I don't think Dak's that good. I've never been overly impressed with Dak. I think he's been a little overrated. And because of that, I don't think that there's a huge discrepancy. To be fair, he's had a lot of weapons recently. And they've really not done anything of substance in making the playoffs fine, but they haven't won a playoff game yet. And they haven't won a playoff game for a very, very long time. So what happens if Cooper Rush is the guy to do it? What then? My question to you, though, is what do the Cowboys do? Because as you know, you have to win now when a guy is paid cheap. But if they win a Super Bowl with Cooper Rush, that's not the future. So like if they win it with Cooper Rush and Dak is healthy, do they move on from Dak and try to start over? Because th there's no future in Cooper Rush. He's been in the league forever. Now he probably gets like the Nick Foles treatment, you know, sell high, try you know, go to one of these struggling franchises that just has a revolving door at the quarterback position, be like the to the Panthers or somewhere like that. They'll be the next Teddy Bridgewater, Jacoby Brissett, the guy that starts half a season somewhere. It's just amazing to me that there are two quarterbacks in the league who have taken a ring away from Tom Brady, and one of them will forever be Nick Foles, who did absolutely nothing else in his career, like nothing else. And the Jags gave him a bunch of money and then just benched his ass after he got hurt. Like, that's how not great Nick Foles was. Nick Foles, if you looked up lightning in a bottle in the dictionary, you would see his face. I used to say that and feel that way about Eli Manning. I know Eli Manning is a little bit more talented than that, but man, that Philadelphia team that year just, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it, 
it almost goes to show you though too how talented all these guys are that there really isn't that big of a of a margin in, in some cases that it comes down to the little things maybe the talent around them a little bit of luck the ball bouncing their way being able to protect them so on and so forth uh being in the right place at the right time has a lot to do with it and tom brady if drew bledsoe never gets hurt maybe we never even freaking hear of tom brady it's just unbelievable and super fascinating how some of these circumstances play out by the way that recently was on tv because i think it was the 20 year anniversary or 21 year anniversary of it and that hit on bledsoe i'm not even sure that it got a penalty back then so think about how much the game has changed you got a punctured lung on that play and that was pretty much like yeah it's part of the game now nope absolutely the game has changed so much man that hit was brutal i used to love drew bledsoe but quarterbacks i don't love and apparently neither does Ron Rivera. Did you hear his press conference this week when asked directly what was the difference between the Washington Commanders and the rest of these successful teams in the NFC East? Quarterback. Unbelievably brutal, but I guess in my mind, what is he supposed to say other than that? I mean, as a coach, is that too forward? Is that too blunt? But if that's what it is, is I mean, he clarified more after that, but I, I was curious how you took that. You've never probably had to talk to the media as part of your coaching job, and you never would throw a kid under the bus. But if you were a professional coach, would you be that honest? I don't know. I'm a big believer that you keep a lot of that stuff internal unless you feel like your, your hand is forced or there's something really egregious. Maybe the player's a, a gigantic asshole or something like that. Carson Wentz doesn't strike me as that type of individual. I think that you handle that behind closed doors. Carson Wentz is a pro. He's been a pro for a while. I'm sure he knows he's not playing very well. And he's really not even playing that poorly. Statistically, he's not playing that poorly. He, I think I heard Alex Smith kind of teed off on Ron Rivera on the Monday Night Football broadcast, I want to say. and Probably some bad blood there. Yeah, there may be, but he he was just saying, I'm not, he's like, I'm not sticking up for Carson Wentz, but there's they have way more issues. There are other issues there than just the quarterback position. And to single him out in that scenario just doesn't seem like a very professional or fair thing to do. There have been rumors that he's not the best teammate, but not because he's just an overt dick. But I think his religious proclivities and his outwardness about that have made it a little bit difficult to really be his teammate and I mean Philadelphia responded when Nick Foles came in and that's why I brought it up because he was going to be the MVP that year he might have actually won the MVP I can't remember remember he got hurt at the end of the year and they ended up yeah. going on this run the team never really responded after that the next year they went to the playoffs and he got hurt again and Nick Foles came in and the team was rejuvenated to the point that you thought that the Eagles were going to make a run to it the Colts really never responded to him i mean they petered out at the end of the year they should have made the playoffs last year and they inexplicably lost to the jags which was just horrendous and now the commanders look listless i know they have a lot of issues but i do wonder if carson wentz is part of the issue just because he's not that good i don't think but also maybe he's not the best teammate in terms of just being able to work with him and relate to him yeah, he's, he's surely part of the issue, but I, I, I think that there is plenty to go around in Washington. For sure. Couldn't be happy, happening to a worse organization, too, by the way. Speaking of organizations that have been middling in mediocrity, the Detroit Lions. So these are your Detroit Lions coach. Uh, Man Campbell, coming into the season, was the most betted on coach to win coach of the year. And they traveled to Foxborough, Massachusetts. And Bill Belichick with Bailey Zappi. I'm going to say that name again because it's comedically funny. Bailey Zappi. He is a starting quarterback in this league now. And they went to Foxborough with their highest scoring offense in the league and put up zero points against a third string quarterback in New England. 
and left the building one and four, having lost 29 to nothing to the New England Patriots, who are nothing special. Man Campbell is on his way to being fired. Yeah, and I hate to see it because he seems like a really likable guy, the type of guy I'd love to sit down and have a couple beers with. So that makes me upset to see it happen to him, and it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. I'll say this much, and it doesn't go very far in the NFL, but he has his team playing hard. I think they play hard. I think they give great effort. I think they're bought into his whole mantra, and they're sort of an embodiment of his personality, which is great to see because you don't see that all the time. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't translate into wins, you're not going to be there for very long, right? NFL stands for not for long. And Dan Campbell is not going to be in Detroit for long, unfortunately. And I just, I'm amazed every time people start to doubt Bill Belichick. You've been high on him and you even said, I don't want to stroke him too much, but this is the quintessential Bill Belichick game. You got a team coming in. I know the Lions were one and three, but they've kind of been that plucky team scoring a lot of points. People have been getting behind them the way you have. And Bill Belichick has been told he's he's not the same without Brady. He can't coach anymore. The game has passed him by, and he does exactly what he has to do. The defense plays well. Bailey Zappi does what he has to do. I think it was 17 to 21 for a buck 88. I called him Sam Bradford, and they did efficiently win the football game, and that's what they needed to do. And to me, that is that that's why you have a guy like Belichick, because he knows so much about the game, and there's no way that he's going to be fooled into losing a game because he's seen everything. No, I, I love Bill Belichick. I think that what he's been able to do there, especially after Tom Brady, has been outstanding, and he does not get enough credit for his part in you know the dynasty which is unfortunate but i do think the history will reflect fondly on him and his legacy he's definitely the the best nfl coach we've seen at least in my lifetime and i don't know that you can really even argue with that and the fact that he's still doing it at a high level with you know definitely lesser talent i don't think anyone could look at these rosters and be you know compare them to the ones he had when they were running off super bowls definitely uh out outdoing his predecessor in new england Pete carroll who is uh surprisingly still employed in seattle after some of the bad teams he's had over the years by the way one of the best facts ever about the patriots is that matt patricia is the offensive coordinator former lions coach who they had to fire because he was so bad and ends up having that game it's amazing but yes the Seattle Seahawks. So at the end of last year, I was on the train that Pete Carroll needed to retire. I said that he was done because it seemed as if his success was more in the past than it was in the present. And Russell Wilson gets traded. We hear a whole bunch of things. They end up getting Drew Locke and they have Geno Smith, who they've had for a while. Geno Smith has been widely panned for many reasons as a pro quarterback. He had a great career at West Virginia. And so we all thought the Seahawks were going to be bad. They lost this week, but Geno Smith might be playing some of the best quarterback in the entire league. I was looking at his stats today. The guy is slinging it and he's making Russ look bad. And I'm I'm here to ask you, is it possible that Geno Smith could be an MVP candidate or in the conversation for MVP right now? No, he's not going to be in the conversation, unfortunately for him, But because I think he's a great player. He's got exceptional arm talent, and there's no denying that. If you watch the guy play, he can sling it, and it's fun to watch. I, I do think eventually they'll level out in Seattle. He'll kind of regress to the mean, per se. That, But that's not an indictment on him. I mean, if he if he had this talent all along, he would have been starting somewhere all along. Like, you know, you mentioned lightning in a bottle. Maybe he's caught a little lightning in the bottle. He's going to ride that wave for as long as he can. 
but we've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick do this several times where he catches a hot streak and looks fantastic and things like that. And I'm not taking anything away from Geno Smith. I think he's a really talented quarterback. I just don't think it's you're going to see it sustained throughout the entire season. How much of a factor do you think is motivation? Because coming into this season, Russ leaves and basically everybody says, oh, that's it. The Seahawks are done. Geno Smith is trash. I've had somebody tell me like Thanos, Geno Smith is inevitable. You just kind of know what you're going to get. And he's out there to prove something. And you've played probably or coach kids who are who feel like they have something to prove because maybe one coach doesn't think they're any good or some of the players don't think that they're good. And how much do you think that that factors in at a pro level i mean he's been playing football his whole life but even as a professional you have to take some of those things personally don't you oh absolutely and at this point in his career he may realize that this is sort of his last chance to lock down a long-term starting position maybe get himself a really nice contract something that he can be set for life and whatever financially as a result of so i do think there's some motivation there to take advantage of this opportunity that he has right now because there may not be many or any more down the road yeah so you you don't get that many opportunities in in the nfl there's only 32 coaches 32 starting quarterbacks so you got to make the most of what you got and i guess he beat out drew lock which i thought was a ridiculous indictment of drew lock's talent or lack of talent and i think he's proven pete carroll right like pete carroll chose the right guy at least for now and they're just gonna ride with it just like the Bills are riding with Josh Allen. Holy shit. The Bills are insanely good. I was high on Josh Allen when he came out of college. I remember, you know, all the pundits. The one that sticks in my mind was Colin Cowherd talking about how he thought that he was inaccurate. And yeah, he's got a big arm, but, you know, the accuracy issues and turnovers, interceptions, blah, 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 blah. Um, didn't play a competitive schedule at Wyoming. How's that going to translate to the NFL? And I'm like, man, you watch that guy play. And I'm like, he's a dude. And he's been that guy. And at the same time, I think, you know, Cowherd kind of lost credibility for me anyways, because I remember he was super, super high on Josh Rosen and thought Josh Rosen was just going to be a killer in the pros. And he was absolutely not at all by, by any stretch of the imagination. But back to Josh Allen, he's so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch. Like if I had someone who had never watched the game of football before and they're like hey show me this this football game you're talking about i would be like let's wait until the bills play you need to watch josh allen and stefan Diggs for three hours <laughs> what a terrible first game for kenny pickett to start into i mean there's no good game to start in but playing in buffalo against that team and i said to you too like after they lost to the dolphins they looked impressive and i really think they took that loss personally because they are not out here fucking around and put 38 to 3 against Pittsburgh. And again, Mike Tomlin teams, maybe this team isn't as talented. They have a rookie quarterback, but they're always well coached and they never usually get blown out like this. This is definitely new territory for Mike Tomlin. Yeah, it's sad to see, but I do think we're on the the backslide of uh, the Steelers dynasty as we've known it for being a top tier team in the AFC. I, I think it's going to take them a few years to sort of uh, regroup and get back into things. It wouldn't surprise me if they've got several more losses like the one they took this weekend ahead of them this year. I just feel like the Bills are the clear best team in the NFL right now, at least, again, the way that they're playing. Doesn't mean that that will end up in a Super Bowl ring, but they're certainly ascending, and they seem to be heading in that trajectory. But it's only October, so there's a lot of football to be played, except for Matt Rule. 
Matt Rule, former coach of the Carolina Panthers, was fired after an abysmal outing against the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, the 49ers put up 37 points. The Jimmy G-led 49ers haven't really done that a whole lot. Baker is hurt. He's going to be out two to four weeks. I did read today that apparently the Bills called up the Panthers and asked about Christian McCaffrey. Seems like the Panthers are in a complete rebuild now, and Matt Rule is probably going to go back to college, I would think. But what did you think of the firing this early in the season? It didn't surprise me. We'll probably see a couple others here pretty soon. You know, Dan Campbell being one of them. So it's not shocking, I think, especially with some of the other issues they have there with the quarterback position. You might as well just rip the Band-Aid off, burn this thing down, and rebuild it. It wouldn't surprise me if you do see McCaffrey traded at some point in time because I don't think that he is going to be... He doesn't have enough meat on the bone to survive a rebuild, I don't think, to where he could be a part of a winner. I know that the turnaround time in the NFL is a little shorter than it is maybe at the college level or in other pro sports even. But I just think that you might as well pile up some draft picks so you can rebuild this thing and uh, go ahead and deal McCaffrey. The Baker thing, I've always been kind of a Baker fan. I like him a little bit. I like the chip he has on his shoulder. I saw he kind of got in a heated exchange with the reporter in the press conference because uh, this particular reporter asked him if he's considered any drills to work on uh, basically finding holes in the pocket since he's so short, you know, finding gaps to throw to. And he's like, you have a drill? Tell me a drill. I'd be, you know, tell me your drill then that you have. <laughs> like, I mean, he was going at the guy pretty good, which hey, I appreciate that. Most of those idiots out there asking questions uh, have no idea what it's like to be in that situation. So, no, I, I don't, I'm not surprised though. I, I, I'm always kind of puzzled or skeptical when you see these college coaches jump to the pros, especially the ones like Matt Rule. He had, he had a good little stretch at Baylor, but it wasn't, crazy uh, and to see that jump and like we've talked about cliff kingsbury taking that jump from texas tech to arizona some of those uh, are kind of puzzling to me when they happen traditionally some of those college coaches don't really work out i mean pete carroll came from college to the pros but he had been in the pros he was the patriots coach after bill parcell so he'd gone and kind of figured some things out and was very successful at usc and i think he learned a lot from having failed in the nfl but when you go right from college to the pros it's a really difficult transition because urban meyer found that out you can't treat the pros the way that you treat the kids that are on scholarship and these pros are making more money than you are in some cases so it's a different culture and I think Matt Rule, to me, hadn't coached enough high-level co you know, college or even been like a coordinator in the NFL, at least to my knowledge. So I think it was just very, very difficult. But remember last year they fired Joe Brady, who was a great offensive coordinator for LSU when they won a national title. And that seemed like a scapegoat move. Like, it wasn't really his fault. And I don't know where Joe Brady is today, but I think he's hopefully got a job somewhere because he was a good offensive coordinator. Yeah, you see that a lot when things start going south. We, I think we saw it even at, it didn't happen at Nebraska when before Scott Frost left and after like that first loss, they fired a, a coordinator or both coordinators. I don't know. But you start, that's the first, that's how you know you're in trouble because someone's probably coming to you and say, well, it's time to start making changes. And so you got to fire coordinators or coaches and you're, you're usually not too far after that happens. But um, agreed though a lot of these college coaches have not translated well look at Chip Kelly right Chip Kelly went uh, I mean he had a little bit of success but nothing sustainable and then now he's back at the college level doing pretty well great transition by the way so their NCAA we had a, a lot of things actually to talk about where there's no way we could get to all of it I mean I guess we could talk for like four hours and, and do that but who's going to listen to that I have to ask you a fundamental question your boy Jimbo Fisher 
seems to always like kind of come back. He's like a buoyant uh, buoy. He just keeps like bouncing up and down, up and down. And they they played Bama tough this week. Is there such a thing as a moral victory for him at this point? I mean, is losing to Bama by only four, does it really matter for them? Because their season's pretty much cooked. I do think it helped because if they would have got the doors blown off them by Bama, we might be talking about him being fired this week. And so he's another one of those guys that I think he's on a week-by-week basis. I, I know there shouldn't be any moral victories, especially at that level, but I do believe that they think it is one, even if it was against a backup quarterback, right? Yeah, and Nick Saban seems to have trouble with teams from Texas this year because that's now two games in which they have struggled and had to basically claw their way out of the stadium against the team from Texas. And I wonder to myself, is Alabama another one of those? They get the benefit of the doubt every year. They're sitting in the top five, and they win the games they have to win. But I do wonder, without Bryce Young, are they really going to be able to be in the playoff picture in earnest? Or are they really, I, I don't know. I, I don't get that same feeling about Alabama, even though Bryce Young is very talented. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things play out because Alabama's got a few tough games on the schedule yet, even before um, the SEC championship rolls around. And, you know, they're going to have to take care of business if they want to be in that conversation. Now, I have no doubt they'll be prepared to do so, whether they do or not. Kind of, I think it's going to have more to do with how the, their opponents play than how Alabama plays. I think Alabama is going to come out and be Alabama, but are, have these other teams taken big enough steps to be up to the task? And a little bit of a preview, Tennessee rolled over your boy, Brian Kelly at LSU. It was a whitewash, 40 to 13. Tennessee is for real, and LSU is not quite for real, despite having a number next to their name this week. They got the doors blown off them at home. I think it was the worst home loss for Brian Kelly ever. Yeah, big time BK or big game BK showed up this weekend. I've seen this version of Brian Kelly many times over the years where moment when the moment arises to have a marquee win or a big win over a higher ranked opponent, he seems to never be able to have a team ready to compete. Uh, we saw him be, I saw him screaming in some coaches' faces throughout the game and things like that. He made some mentions during the halftime interview and the post-game press conference about uh, being out coached and coaching. So I think that while he's saying some of the right things as far as taking some of the blame himself he's throwing some of his coaches under the bus as well on the tennessee side hendon hooker i think that if the heisman trophy were to be voted on today he'd be a tough guy to beat and i'm sure that the cj stroud fans in ohio state would disagree but uh, if you look at the body of work and what he's done so far this season it'd be hard to pick anybody over him i said that to you two weeks ago and you told me it was wrong because it was cj stroud so Eat a fat one, the way that you talk. Hey, I stand corrected, man. I stand corrected. He he looks so good. Now I'll say this much though, in, in full transparency, Saturday is the first time I've I've watched him at length, you know, for a, a whole football game, and I was really impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think we don't ever disagree? But, you know, the SEC, man, we always talk about this every week, how each of these teams is so good and the talent, even for teams that are kind of bottom feeders in the SEC, those teams are probably better than most of the other teams in other divisions. And at South Carolina, who's really a joke, and they haven't really been successful since Spurrier was there. Maybe they have a win or two here, but they beat Kentucky and they find a way to win. And it just shows you how tough the SEC is. And even if we think a team is ascending, it takes one loss. And then next week they lose again. And Kentucky now is reeling. And South Carolina gets a big win. And Shane Beamer, Frank Beamer's son, I have a little bit of a soft spot for the Beamer family, of course. It was nice to see him get that signature win because I know a lot of people that live in South Carolina who were getting a little frustrated. Yeah, he's he's coaching for his job a little bit. And uh, there may be a little bit of desperation there. But it is, it's nice to see 
the parity, uh, especially within that conference and how good all the teams are top to bottom. I, I do think that it's hard to become a sustainable top tier team in the SEC. We've seen, you know, Kentucky's sort of been slowly climbing the ladder the last few years. Tennessee's sort of been slowly climbing the ladder. A&M's definitely had the talent to be up there, but to do what Alabama's done and Georgia's doing and just, you know, be able to maintain that level at the top of the conference amongst so, amongst so many other highly talented and well-coached football teams is hard to do. Um, and you see that right there, you know, Kentucky is maybe not quite ready for the big time in the SEC, because if you can't fend off a not very good South Carolina team, then the last thing you're going to be worried about is Georgia or Alabama. And think about what you just said. Alabama and Georgia are consistent, but think about how many years it's taken for some of these SEC schools to be ranked even. I mean, Kentucky was bottom of the barrel. There was a guaranteed win on your schedule many years. It's taken them years to even get there and then to not even be close. It just shows you how difficult the SEC is. And when you come in as a new coach and Brian Kelly is finding this out, it's not as easy as you think it is. Just because you have a lot of success doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden going to go to an SEC school and you're going to jump right in. I mean, good for him recovering from that first week loss, but they rattled off four straight wins and then got absolutely creamed the next time they had a good opponent. And so Kentucky even being in the conversation just shows you the strength of the conference, but also it's hard to do. And your boy, Mike Leach, is doing it now. Got another big win this week. Crawling up into the top 15. I can't wait because he's got a couple trap games, I'm sure, coming up. You know he always is, is due for one of those stupid losses. Oh, absolutely. And, and we'll talk about that in crunch time because I see that game on the docket. So we'll kind of discuss that further when we get to that point. But, you know, one thing to, as far as about the SEC goes that I do have a beef with is some of the bottom feeder teams and those teams that come to mind like Vanderbilt and like Missouri, South Carolina, you could even argue that even those teams, you know, kind of pound their chest like, yeah, it's the SEC. It means more. And I'm like, when's the last time you won a game in the SEC, you know, type of thing. You know, they kind of ride coattails a little bit, but and Mississippi State has traditionally maybe been one of those programs that Mike Leach has not role, and I love that guy. And, yeah, they're going to have their work cut out for him. They've got a lot of tough games left on the schedule, but I would love nothing more than to see them keep winning. I would love for Ole Miss and Mississippi State to be undefeated when they play each other. That would be fantastic because that game hasn't mattered in a really long time. No, it would be fantastic. It would be absolutely awesome. And Lane Kiffin's another guy, man, I kind of got a little soft spot for. You do. And speaking of teams that I have soft spots for, the Kansas Jayhawks, I don't really want to say soft spot, but I've wanted to give them a little bit of a highlight because they have been terrible and they played pretty well against TCU. And I know you said they were going to win handily or comfortably or whatever the word was. And I call them scrappy. And again, maybe that doesn't mean anything. It's a moral victory, but I think they had their first primetime game. College game day was there which is pretty incredible that they went to Kansas. Think about this for a second. And so to play well and not get blown out on national television, I think that's a good thing for the program. It seems as if they're playing in a positive direction. Kansas State wins, and they're going to be ranked still. So it's amazing to see these schools in, in these areas that we've been just you know not really paying attention to play well. You hope that it lasts for as long as it can, because as you pointed out, parity is the best thing that could happen to college football. Yeah, I think it's awesome when you have teams like this that pop up for a year or two and, and they're competitive and definitely when they're having more success than they traditionally have. The unfortunate part about it is these successful seasons usually lead to these coaches that build that up being hired away and now you're back to square one. 
you know, I, I hope that doesn't happen maybe in this case, but it, it likely will. I'm sure that the, the head coach at Kansas and even Kansas State will will be hired away to better, higher marquee positions. And, and But that's just how the wheel turns. And we'll probably talk about that when we get to college basketball, because I'm sure that plagues Bradley every now and again. You know, unfortunately, we've kind of talked about this. Uh, me and my dad talk about this all the time. They've never, in my lifetime, they haven't had a coach that was hired away uh, for a better job. And it's almost because they stayed too long. They didn't leave soon enough. When I was a kid, the coach was, uh, you know, Jim Molinari, and you know, the you know Bradley made the NCAA tournament in '96. Had a really good team. They had made the NIT consistently. I mean, I think they fired him after making the NIT for like five straight years, and they fired him. You know, that's how highly Bradley, I guess, thought about themselves. But I heard he, you know, he had had interest at like St. John's and places like that. And whether he was offered those jobs or not, I don't know. But ultimately, he probably could have left and taken a better job at some point. And then his his replacement, Jim Les, maybe same type of deal. You know, after the Sweet 16 season, he probably could have uh, parlayed that into a better gig. And he stuck around a little too long and ended up getting fired. <laughs> So I don't know. We'll see what happens to the current coach, Brian Wardle. He's he's pretty good. They should have a pretty solid, pretty solid team this year. And I, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me one bit if Bradley turned into one of those springboard type jobs, like a you know like you saw Butler be for a long time, or some of these other mid majors where you're you're just a stepping stone for great coaches. Because if they're that good and they're getting hired away, like you're always going to get the next best guy in in most cases. I guess I never considered a guy staying way too long and overstaying his welcome. And I guess in college basketball, you see that more at these schools where guys will stay for a really, really long time because they have some success. But a lot of guys now are kind of skipping town. So I guess that means you've kind of made it as a mid-major when that happens. But in football, it's inevitably going to happen all the time. You're never going to have the guy. The days of Frank Beamer, those are over. Guys are never going to stay at schools like that for very long because they want to take that stepping stone. I mean, if Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, when he probably could have been the Notre Dame coach forever unless they all of a sudden started being really bad. And then he just decided, I'm going to go to the SEC. That means every single coach is in play at this point. Yeah, I would say so. There's a few untouchables. You know, Saban's not going to go anywhere from Alabama, I don't think. I think he'll retire from there. But other than that, uh, you, you probably hit the nail on the Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. He'll probably never go anywhere from there. But after their performance this year, I don't know who the hell would want to hire him. <laughs> but, you know, there's a couple of those guys – but no, you're right. You don't see those long-term, you know, the the Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechlers and uh, Frank Beamer. You know, you don't see that so much anymore. Last thing before we move on, Notre Dame played really well against BYU. And I have to ask you, man, are they kind of making a little bit of a comeback? Are you feeling better about Marcus Freeman? Yeah, I'm feeling good about the direction they're headed. I think they're figuring some things out. And I was honestly a little surprised they didn't at least sneak into the top 25 after the win over, you know, ranked BYU. But, you know, time will tell. They're going to have plenty of opportunities uh, throughout the rest of the season. You know, they've got a few ranked teams left. You know, that includes Clemson and USC at some point. So they'll, they'll definitely have a chance to you know, get back into the national scene. Now, they're definitely not a playoff team. They're likely not a New York's New New Year's Six Bowl um, caliber team this year, but they should. I expect them to get back into the top 25 here at some point. All right. Well, I want to say one more thing before we move on. And my friend Letitia, who is listening, she's a big Texas fan. She went to Texas. So hook them for that 49 nothing thrashing of Brent Venables and the sad Sooners. Yeah, that's awesome. It was, uh, I was surprised. I, I thought that Oklahoma would at least put up a little bit of a fight, uh, but they, they did not manage to do so at all. But I think Texas is another one of those programs that when they're rolling, college football is better. And their addition to the SEC here in the future, I think is going to make that conference absolutely ridiculous. It'll be fun to watch them competing with the Alabamas, Georgias, 
LSU's of the world, um, Tennessee, as we move forward. It sure will. And you'll hear all of that news on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. And that means we're moving on and it is time, man. time for that weekly segment crunch time where brad and i go back and forth rat a tat tat and give our thoughts about 10 games throughout the slate in sports and we are going to start but first brad i've got a little bit of a surprise for you do you remember nfl prime time yes i do copyright infringement coming along we're going to start number 10 penn state travels to number five michigan the big 10 finally gets a great game i'm going penn state here I tell you what, uh, they've gotten a bad rap for a poor schedule early on, but I'm buying Michigan now, especially at home at the big house. Give me the Wolverines. All right, number three, Alabama travels to number six, Tennessee. Rocky motherfucking top. So we got Alabama, Tennessee. I, I think it's going to be a good game. I think Tennessee's really talented. I think they'll keep it close, but I'm on the tide. Number eight, Oklahoma State. Brad's pick of the week, I'm sure. At number 13, TCU. It's that time for Oklahoma State to be losing because Brad loves them, so give me the Horn Frogs. Love me the Cowboys. I'll take the Cowboys on the road to assert themselves as the best team in the Big 12. Sorry, Horns. Number 25, JMU. You heard that correctly. First time being ranked. The first year in the FBS traveled to Georgia Southern. The only reason I had it on here is so I could give you that stat. Give me JMU. Yeah, I'll take James Madison, seeing them uh, pop up in the FBS and crack into the top 25 in their first year is exciting, so I'll take them. And number 16, Mississippi State travels to number 22, Kentucky. This feels like a trap game. Kentucky's reeling after two losses. Give me the Wildcats. Yeah, this is that game that uh, Mike Leach loses every year as soon as you think that he's getting his team into contention. I agree, I will take Kentucky reluctantly. And we move to the NFL. The New York football Jets travel to Lambeau Field to take on Aaron Rodgers. I like the New York Jets here. Young head coach, young quarterback at Lambeau against Aaron Rodgers. I'll take the Packers. The Baltimore Ravens travel to the Meadowlands to face the inexplicably 4-1 New York Giants. The Giants are frauds. Give me Lamar and the Ravens. This is the week that proves us all wrong about the Giants, and we realize that they are a force to be reckoned with. I think they contain Lamar and run away with the victory. I'll take the G-men. The Buffalo Bills continue their murderer's row as they travel to Kansas City to face the Kansas City Chiefs, easily going to be the game of the year probably. I actually like the Kansas City Chiefs here only because they're at home. I wonder what the over-under on this game is. It's got to be like 75 or something. There's going to be so many freaking points scored in this game. I will take the Bills. I just think they're too freaking good. Give me the Bills on the road. The Dallas Cowboys travel to Philadelphia in an NFC East showdown. And the Philadelphia Eagles looking to remain undefeated coming in. Cooper Rush, a road game against a pretty tough opponent. I'm actually going to take the Eagles here. I'm feeling frisky, man. I'm feeling frisky. I'm buying into Cooper Rush. And I think right here is where the Eagles get exposed for the frauds that they are. I will take Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. And last, the Cardinals and the Flying Cliff Kingsburys travel to Seattle to face Geno Smith MVP and the Seattle Seahawks. Give me the Seahawks with a chip on their shoulder. I'm with you on the Seahawks, and I think this is a game that firmly puts Cliff Kingsbury on the hot seat. 
And there you go, folks. Crunch time with a little bit of background music, of course. You know, we got to get the production right. We will get it right at some point, folks. Don't you worry about that. I have a lot of fun doing that every week, man. It's just, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, you know, we're doing it as good as anybody else in the business right now. No, it's super exciting. It's my favorite part of the show. I look forward to, look forward to it the most for sure. And uh, I don't know, man. Maybe we need to talk about it. Maybe we can just do the whole show rapid fire. Yeah, we just do 10-minute shows where we just go back and forth and don't say more than, like, two words. We just go boom, 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 boom. We could talk about everything and anything in sports and basically be that show that literally has no scope. <laughs> no kidding, right? That, that, I don't know. It'd, it'd probably be exciting, but there wouldn't be much, uh, much context. sound means that it's time for otw where iceman and coach give you their own personal flair and we always start with the iceman's stat of the week so hearkening back to your pick of the week last week the chicago bears i found a wonderful stat about the chicago bears franchise that i wanted to share with all of you because it is just hilariously funny tom brady has 23,996 career passing yards and 174 touchdowns in his 40s alone that's 500 more yards and 20 more touchdowns than the Bears' all-time passing leader, Heater, Jay Cutler. Tom Brady playing only in his 40s would be the Bears' leading passer in team history. That's absolutely insane, but I'm not surprised by that stat one bit. I've watched a lot of terrible Bears football in my lifetime. That doesn't surprise me at all. Unbelievable. And one more thing before we get to the other main segment here, Blake Bortles recently retired, ended his career having been paid $48 million. So congratulations to him. Blake Bortles played in 78 games and threw 75 interceptions. So not a great stat. Stellar, man. Stellar. Sign me up for that job. Friends. Sports fans, degenerate gamblers, lend me your ears. Come and hear the future. Witness the seer of seers, the soothsayer of the people. It is time for the coach's pick of the week. Hear ye, hear ye. We got off the schneid sort of last week with the Bears at plus seven with the Vikings. This week, I found a line that I thought was one of the most astonishing lines I've seen so far this year. USC is a three and a half point underdog at Utah. Now I know we were high on Utah early in the season, but after the loss at Florida, we became very skeptical. The The pundits in Vegas must know something about this team that we do not know because it seems they have been disappointing in every game they've played that has had any sort of national uh, bearing on it or rankings um, affiliated with it. So I will take USC plus three and a half at Utah. USC plus three at Utah. So let it be written. So let it be done. And there you have it, folks. OTW is over. And we have reached the end of the show inexplicably. It goes by so fast, my man. But uh, I hope you liked the little medieval flair. Last week, we kind of stumbled upon something funny. And I gave you the stained glass treatment for anybody who's watching on YouTube. The coach in stained glass form. I think you look pretty good, man. 
Yeah, I might have to see if I can get that and make it like my profile picture or something on social media. It would definitely be an upgrade. I do like it. I do like it. Now, unfortunately, being one, three, and one, it's not as sexy as one and four. But uh, hey, you know what? Having that tie there, everybody loves making fun of ties, and it's like kissing your sister. So there you go, man. One, three, and one heading into the next week. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. It's better than a loss, and we're moving in the right direction. I think that I feel really good about this week's pick, and uh, we'll see how things play out on Saturday. And there you go, folks. We have reached the end of the show this week, the Iceman and the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. It's going to take me a while to get that. You know, I've been calling it Dripping Sports now for a year and a half. But, Brad, do you have any parting thoughts for Ice Time Nation before we get out of here? No, nothing great. Just another great show, another fun Another fun show with a lot of content that I enjoyed. Uh, it gets better and better every week. And then I think going into maybe our first weekend that is, you know, kind of, I won't call it packed, but it has a decent slate of games that have some meaning to them, especially on the NCAA level. So looking forward to that. As am I. Before we get you out of here, don't forget to check out the Pub Time podcast where you can find Coach in his other form and MattySmedia.com for the other podcasts that I'm a part of and we support. It means the world to us if you're listening on Apple and Spotify. Give us a follow. Give us some stars. It means the world. Brad, until next week, this is Iceman and Coach. Points expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.